Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Let's start with a little bit of a riddle today. What flies but has no wings? Any guesses? Time. Time. Time flies but it has no wings. And as I mentioned in our time together last week, one of the powerful parts of starting a new year is we get to be reminded that time is moving forward. And I know it seems like that should be intuitive, but in so many ways, It's not. I mean, I looked in the mirror the other day and I had this realization. I'm getting older. Like I have these age spots on my face that I didn't have a little while ago. I've got a little bit less hair than I used to have. And the remaining hair that I do have is turning gray. And I had this realization. Oh my goodness, I'm aging, right? And some of it is because of 2020. Let's just be honest. Like 2020 aged us probably a decade. But regardless of that, time is moving forward. The, the thing that I've noticed about time is that it's wildly consistent. It keeps moving forward at a ridiculously steady pace. One of my favorite bands, Need to Breathe, they wrote a song called Stones Under Rushing Water, and here's one of the lyrics of that song. They write, The years go by like stones under rushing water. We only know, we only know when it's gone. And I think they nailed something transcendent about the human experience. We all assume we have all the time in the world until we realize we don't. Until we realize we don't. I'm reminded of what Andy Bernard said on The Office. Uh, he, He said, and I quote, I wish there was a way to know that you were in the good old days before the good old days are gone. And I thought, that's so true. The reality is time is fleeting. Time is passing. What was the present is now already in the past. I don't know if you've noticed this, but time can be lost. It can't be retrieved. It can never be stored. It can never be hoarded. And it can only be spent in the moment. It's why the scriptures say in Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Now listen to what this psalm that Moses wrote, this psalm is actually saying. The psalm is saying that when we start to recognize that our lives are going to end one day, we actually start to live more full and more beautiful lives. And you might say, well, that's, that's fatalistic, but I think the psalmist would push back and say, no, 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 no. It's actually realistic. And the scriptures over and over will call us to be people who wisely utilize our time. Paul in the book of Ephesians will write, redeem the time, redeem the time, like buy it back and utilize it for the most good 
that you possibly can. But see, here's the thing. We don't redeem the time by seeking adventure or by living on adrenaline or by having a bucket list that we sort of slowly go through and check off. We actually redeem the time by living in alignment with the things that are most important to us. In fact, I'd invite you to write this down today. We maximize our lives when we align our time with our priorities. See, at first blush, it might seem like aligning our priorities with our time would be easy. But I think if we're honest, we all know that it is not easy. Bronnie Ware, a palliative care nurse from Australia, started to interview her patients who were, uh, most of them, roughly 12 weeks away from dying. And she started to ask them what some of their biggest regrets in life were. And she was fascinated by this. She started to write a blog about their answers and eventually a book. But one of the top answers that dying men specifically had to the question, what do you regret about the way that you lived your life? Here's what they said. I wish I hadn't have worked so much. So, so listen to this. I mean, we've got to get this, that they're saying their biggest regret was the way that they spent their time. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have a similar regret. And I don't think you do either. But the challenge is, how do we take the lives that we're living in our everyday lives and align them with the things that matter most to us? And here's where, if you'll allow me, let me just push in a little bit and say, I think this is one of the gifts that the COVID season has given us. It's it's disrupted our schedules. Let's be more honest. It's destroyed our schedules, right? The things that we used to do on an everyday, every week basis, we, we, many of those things we can't do any longer. And I think it's actually caused us to ask some questions. At least it's caused our family to ask some questions, maybe yours too. Do, do we really want to be doing all these things? Do we really want to be out this many nights a week? Do we really need to do all of these sporting events? Do, 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 do our schedules need to look the way that they looked before? And I think Jesus is giving us a gift to analyze our lives and to slow down a little bit, cut some things out so that we can do less and accomplish more of what really matters. Philosopher Lin Yutang said, the wisdom of life consists in the elimination of non-essentials. And it's this reality, it's this reality that Nehemiah pushes into. It's this reality that Nehemiah lifts up for us and holds up for us and teaches us how to rebuild our priorities. So if you have your Bible, will you open with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, Nehemiah wrote, When Sambalit and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalit and Geshem said to me, Come and let us meet together at Hekephrim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers say, to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. I love this answer by Nehemiah. I'm doing a great work. He's literally standing up on the wall, looking down to these people that are beckoning him off of it. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't come down. I am doing a great work. Just a few observations. Number one, Nehemiah knows what his priority is. He knows what he's called to do, and he's doing it with all of his might, and he refuses to be taken off course. Second, Nehemiah names his highest priority as a great work. He doesn't diminish it. He doesn't push it aside. He doesn't try to defend it. He just names it. This is a great work. I just want to remind some of the moms that are listening, what you're doing in raising kids is a great work. Name it as such. Some of the dads, it's a great work that you are doing. And we have a tendency to diminish some of the things that God calls us to give our life to. Nehemiah does not do that in the least. But here's the last observation I want to make about this. And I think this is really powerful. And this is going to help us orient our time together. Nehemiah understands that if he's going to say yes to something, it means he's saying no to something else. Did you catch it? He said, why should the work stop? I can't try to do both of these things. And he's saying, I'm not going to give myself and my time to something less important because it means that I won't be able to accomplish the goal that I have, the priority that I have. And I think what Nehemiah is teaching us is that our life is a series of yeses and nos. I mean, I think we'll be able to look back on our life, however many years God gives us. And if we pull back the curtains just a little bit, we will be able to see the course of our life and the directions that we took based on the things that we said yes to and the things that we said no to. It's like a computer program that's just simply a series of ones and zeros packaged in different ways. Your life and my life is simply a series of yeses and nos. And Nehemiah shows us, and I want to invite you to write this down. Nehemiah shows us that aligning our priorities means saying no to good things so that we can consistently say yes to best things. Let me say that again. Aligning with our priorities means saying no to good things so that we can consistently say yes to best things. And friends, that means, that means we need to know what those best things are. (laughs) And the challenge that we have is that we often operate based on our strongest desires in the moment, right? What we want immediately rather than our deepest desires, what we long for ultimately. And so here's the beautiful thing. My guess is you already know what your deepest priorities are. I mean, think about it. What do you want people to say about you at the end of your life? Uh, New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote a book entitled The Road to Character. And in that, he said, we often live our lives pursuing resume virtues, sort of building up our resume. But what we really long for are eulogy virtues, 
Like what we want people to say about us at the end of our life. So what do you want your spouse to say about you at the end of your life? What do you want your friends to say about you? If you have kids, what do you want your kids to say about you? What type of legacy do you want to leave in your workplace? What do you want Jesus to say to you when you meet him face to face one day? See, as disciples, we know, we know that our highest priority and calling and goal is to love God and to love people. But when we start to clarify our priorities under that, it gives us power to live the kind of lives that we look back on, not with regret, but with gratitude, with excitement, and with thankfulness to our great God. See, clarifying our priorities doesn't mean that we don't have time for anything else. It means that we make time for the things that are most important to us on a consistent basis. And those priorities may change in different seasons of our life, and that's okay. But the goal is to know what we need to say no to so that we can, can say yes to the best things. And Nehemiah is going to be our guide to show us how to do that. So there's a few things that I want to point out from this interaction that Nehemiah has and then the ones that follow that I think are going to help us live into our priorities. Look with me again at what Samblat and Geshem say to Nehemiah. They say to him in verse 2, Come and let us meet together at Hekephrim in the plain of Ono. But Nehemiah recognizes they intended to do me harm. The thing that we need to know is that the plain of Ono is roughly 26 miles away from Jerusalem. So you can see what his enemy's strategy is. Let's take him away from his work. Let's, if we can get him off the wall, he won't make progress there, and then we will be able to do him harm. And Nehemiah says at the end of verse 4, you can go look at it, they said this to me four times. Because, because, and he says no every single time because he knows that what's urgent is always trying to pull us away from what's really, really important. And just like for Nehemiah, distraction is a consistent threat to our priorities. And Nehemiah models for us what it looks like to live in alignment with our priorities. And here's what he teaches us, and I'd invite you to write this down, that we must identify distractions and embrace focus. He says, I'm doing a great work. I'm sorry, I can't come down. I can't be distracted from the work that God has called me to. I've got to live with focus into the calling that God has given me. So the question might be for us, what are the things that take us down from the wall? What are the, what are the distractions in our life? Let me, give you, let me give you three that I think are realities for us in 2021. Here's the first. The first is busyness. Is busyness. We're a busy people. We're a people who value busyness. 
We're a people who wear busyness like a badge. I mean, you ask somebody, how are you doing? And if they say to you, busy, the hope is that you might think, wow, they must be really important because they're so busy. And yet, our busyness actually isn't accomplishing for us what we hope it will. See, on average, we get two hours less of sleep every single night than our forefathers did a hundred years ago. And, and we always feel like we're not getting enough done. What if, what if busyness is actually laziness? What, what if it's not being willing to spend the time to prioritize our time so that we actually can do the things that are most important? Someone once asked Dallas Willard how he would describe Jesus in one word, and he said, unhurried, unhurried. And you could agree or disagree with him, but I think his point is, listen, in three years, Jesus accomplished more than any of us, we can, we, can, we can agree on that, ever will. And he did it being unhurried. Maybe we can accomplish the things God has for us to do in an unhurried manner as well. I think one of the other distraction points for us in our cultural moment is entertainment. I mean, we're constantly clicking and swiping and liking and retweeting. Uh, the latest studies suggest that Americans spend 5.4 hours a day on our phones and we check our phones roughly 96 times every single day. Now, entertainment, there's nothing wrong with it inherently, but it can be a distraction to take us away from the things that really matter most to us. The things that we want to be said about us at the end of our lives Sometimes entertainment can take us away from those. I mean, I can't tell you, and this is just to be honest with you, how many times I've been hanging out with my kids and I picked up my phone and immediately afterwards thought, what am I doing? Like, why, why am I refusing to be present with my kids, to be present with a device and with people that aren't in front of me? Man, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I want to align my time with my priorities and I want to fight for focus. Finally, we take our eyes off or take our, we get taken down off of the wall when our emotions go unchecked. I mean, how many times have you lost a day because you were angry about something and just stewing over it or because you were thinking about a conversation that you were going to have to have or because somebody said to you, I want to meet with you and talk with you and you had all sorts of ideas in your mind of what they wanted to talk about and what it meant. And our emotions have a way of, if they run unchecked, they can rob us of the life that we really want to live. As Andy Stanley said, and I think he said it well, the things that we get distracted by are never as important as the things that we get distracted from. So, Here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. What would it look like for you to look at your habits and your hobbies and maybe the people in your life and ask, are any of these things distracting me from the things that I really value and the things that are really important to me? And I want to challenge you. Look back over your last week and just ask, where was I distracted? 
And what would it look like for me to live more focused, for me to live like Nehemiah and to say, I'm sorry, I'm doing a great work. I can't click. I can't swipe. I can't get involved in another board meeting. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Sorry, not sorry, right? And then listen to the way that this passage continues. It says in verse five, in the same way when Sambalit for the first, for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, it is reported among the nations in Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take our counsel together. And then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. There's a lot in this portion that we could dig into. I just want to touch on one thing. And it's actually found in verse 5. Nehemiah points out that Samuel sends him an open letter. This was uncommon, which is why it's pointed out. This is uncommon back in the ancient world. See, when someone of importance was sending an important letter, they would seal it and they would sort of sign it with a signet ring saying, this is actually from me. The only reason you would send an open letter is if you wanted other people to read it. If you wanted other people to know what you were saying. And that's exactly why Nehemiah's enemies send the letter as an open letter. The goal is to spread a rumor about what's happening in Jerusalem. The goal is to create a coalition of people that would come and be against Nehemiah. The goal was to create a trial of public opinion that would eventually get Nehemiah to come off of the wall. It's amazing the power that peer pressure has in our lives, even as adults. I mean, I think some of us assume that that leaves when we walk off of the proverbial playground, but the reality is it sticks with us, doesn't it? That's why the Apostle Paul will write to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, Paul writes that because it's a temptation for every single one of us. And Nehemiah is teaching us that we have to be people who, and I'd invite you to write this down, refuse peer pressure and operate with personal conviction. We refuse peer pressure and operate with personal conviction conviction. I'm reminded of the story of Mary and Martha. It's in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is coming into town and he comes to Martha's house. And Martha is functioning with all of the expectations of her day in a patriarchal culture that she would be the person that sort of cares and for Jesus takes care of the food and does all the things. And, and then her sister Mary has the audacity to just sit at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> 
And then, and then, listen to what Martha says to Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, she says this. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean, I love this picture of Martha. She's going, Mary doesn't have the same priorities I do. Tell Mary her priorities are wrong. Tell Mary to get in the kitchen with me and to help make some food. But Mary's refusing to play along with all the cultural expectations. She has personal conviction rather than operating based on peer pressure. And what Martha points out for us is it often drives us crazy when people don't operate based on peer pressure or normal or social norms, right? I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, gosh, it must be nice to not be out every night of the week? <laughs> or, gosh, it must be nice to not be so busy? Or, wow, it must be nice to take that many vacations? I mean, if you ever thought that, you're probably in line with what Martha is thinking when she looks at Mary. But I love, I love that Jesus affirms Mary's decision to not operate based on expectations or what we might call peer pressure, but rather to operate based on her priorities, which are ex- which is encounter with the living God. And Jesus affirms that. See, I, I would encourage you, don't let the expectations of others drive your priorities. I love the way that Greg McEwen wrote it in his great little book, which I highly recommend, by the way, Essentialism. He wrote this, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. (laughs) And they might be very well-intentioned and well-meaning. They might even be other extended family members. They might be friends. They might be very well-intentioned people, but they will be taking you off your wall. So what does this look like today? I think one of the ways, at least that I've experienced pressure or peer pressure, is what to do with my kids' schooling, right? I think that's one that a lot of young parents and parents in general can relate to. Do we do homeschool? Do we do private school? Do we do a charter school? Do we do public school? And what you do with schooling oftentimes opens you up to the sort of the court of public opinion. And I just want to say, um, that's a priority decision. Like, you and your family need to decide, what are our priorities? And then make a decision based on and in alignment with the priorities that you have. And then, and then, see, because I don't think one is more spiritual than the other. I love the way that Nehemiah approaches it. He just simply answers, sorry, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down from the wall. He doesn't give an explanation as to why. He doesn't try to defend his answer, except to say, we're doing a great work. And I think you can do the same thing with whatever schooling you decide for your kids and for your family. You don't need to try to convince people to see your way. You don't need to defend yourself or your decision. You just need to know what your priority is and then live in alignment with us. Don't give in to peer pressure. Operate based on personal conviction.
So let's look at the way that this section ends, picking it up in verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, son of Mehetabel, and we don't know who Shemaiah is, but we do know that he's a Jew. He's somebody from Nehemiah's own team. He should be an advocate. Who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Now, on the surface, this seems like good advice. It seems like he's doing something that would benefit Nehemiah, but what we're going to see is he's actually been turned by Sambalit and some of the other enemies of Nehemiah. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. So, so Nehemiah says, there's two problems with that. Number one, why would I run? I'm not, I'm not afraid. And number two, I'm not the kind of person that can go into the temple and live. See, Nehemiah knows the design that God has for the temple, and he refuses to violate it. Verse 12, And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sambalat and hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. I love this line in verse 12. I understood, Nehemiah says, that God had not sent them. I think verse 12 is a great definition of discernment. I understood that God had not sent him. Discernment is the ability to understand what is from God and what is not from God and to operate based on what's true and what's actually coming from the hand of God. There's a few things about this text that I want you to to notice and then a point that I want to drive home for us. First, now for Nehemiah, the threat to his priorities are coming from his own people, from his own camp. Second, the tactic that they're using is fear. Nehemiah says it two times. They, They wanted me to be afraid. And what the enemy knows about you and I is that fear is one of his greatest tactics in order to get us to operate outside of our priorities. If he can get us afraid, afraid that we're going to miss out on something, afraid that we're going to lose friendships, afraid that we are not going to provide the best possible experiences that we can for our kids, and then they're going to go off in a certain direction. If he can get us afraid, he knows he can get us to operate out of alignment with our priorities. And finally, and finally, I want you to notice that the way that Shemaiah uses something sacred in order to try to steer Nehemiah in a wrong direction. See, the temple was for worship. It wasn't for hiding out. And not only that, but Nehemiah wasn't a priest, so he couldn't go into the part of the temple that Shemaiah wanted him to go into. See, and I believe that one of the ways the enemy will tempt you and will tempt me is by enticing us to utilize the gifts of God, which the temple was, outside of the design of God. 
to utilize the gifts of God outside of the design of God. And Nehemiah is teaching us that in order to live in alignment with our priorities, we have to, and I'd invite you to write this down, we have to reject compromise and pray for discernment. And I think this is so important in our cultural moment to reject compromise and to pray for discernment. Because all over in our culture, we hear people saying, if it feels good, do it. If you personally believe it, go for it. We see this in the area of sexuality. Uh, We see this in the area of finances. We see this in the way that people use power. But I do, I think sexuality is actually probably one of the ways that right now we see this most. So let me be as clear as I can. Sex is a gift from God, but it's designed to be used in covenantal, heterosexual, monogamous marriage. That's his design. And if we want his blessing, We have to follow his design. And as as disciples of Jesus, one of our highest priorities should be, God, we want to live in your design because we believe that it is the way to flourishing and abundance and life. So if you're a a single person, I want to challenge you. One of the walls that you can't come down from because it's such an important work is to live with honesty and in light and in purity before God. Don't trade. Do not trade what is ultimate for what is immediate. Immediate gratification for ultimate priorities that you want your life to be about. See, I think what Nehemiah is teaching us is that all of our lives at the end of our life will be a story. And what story do we want to tell? I think he's going, gosh, I don't want to tell the story of hiding out in the temple being afraid of my enemies. I actually want to tell the story of standing up, trusting God, and stepping into the fray, not knowing exactly what will happen, but living by faith and in alignment with our priorities. See, I don't think you want to tell the story at the end of your life of dominating Candy Crush. I don't think you want to tell the story at the end of your life of cheating on your spouse. I don't think you want to tell the story at the end of your life of being a workaholic. I don't know about you, but as a Jesus follower, the story that I want to tell at the end of my life is that I lived out Jesus' invitation and command to us that he gives us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Here's what he said. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. I want to tell the story to my kids, to my grandkids, to my great-grandkids one day. I want to tell the story. We sought first the kingdom of God, and God was faithful, and God was good. We lived with this as our highest priority, and we saw his hand move in miraculous, in healing, in absolutely awesome ways. That's the story that I want to tell with my life. I want to look back on the way that I use my time without regret. What about you? What about you? So a few questions. What's out of alignment in your life? What activity or hobby do you need to cut out so you can live in alignment with your highest priorities? Is there a person 
that you have to have a hard conversation with, that just seems to keep steering you outside of what you really feel like God's calling you to. What is your wall? What is your wall that is your great work that you just can't come down from? And will you stay on the wall to complete the task that God has given to you? Friends, remember that alignment with our priorities means saying no to good things so that we can consistently say yes to the best things. And I'd invite you to write this down as we close. Aligned priorities lead to empowered living. I want to live this kind of Nehemiah life. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Friends, let's stay focused. Let's live with conviction. And then let's be people who operate with discernment. God is calling me to this and I am going to step into it. Let me pray for you. So Lord, in a a world and in a moment, our cultural moment, that's just filled with distractions and opportunities to be taken away from the things that we value most, from the priorities that we have. God, I pray that you would help us to have clarity of what it looks like to love you and to love the people around us, what it looks like to live our lives with the end in focus, knowing that our time on this earth is fleeting and is temporary. And God, we want to be the kind of people who seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and see the way that you provide consistently for all of our needs. So Lord, we just hold our lives before you. Shine a light on us. Show us if there's anything in us that's out of alignment of your way and your heart. And then help us to live passionately and with conviction in alignment with the priorities that we have. Jesus, it's in your holy, precious, and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.